Welcome back to another episode of The Daily Objective. And we have a lot to talk about today. Of course, you know that I'm Rucka, although don't let the Clark Kent glasses trick you. And I'm here with a guy who, legend has it, descends directly from Thales himself, the last of the Greeks, Nikos Sotokapolis. Well, every week it's you're getting further rather than uh, closer to but at some point, at some point, we're going to get there. So hi, hi, Raka. And today's topic has to do with the new paradigm that we find ourselves after the, the lockdown. By the way, I give a pledge. If I use the term the new normal, which is the term I hate, every time I use the term, I'm donating 10 pounds to the Ayn Rand Center UK. So uh, that, would be, that would be good, but uh, I, I hate the term, so I'll try not to use it. Because usually it means it, it's, anyway, uh, uh, we can discuss at some other point. So here's how I got uh, about with the idea for, for today's uh, topic. So I was walking in my neighborhood in Greece and I found this very beautiful open gym, uh, which is one of these huge ones, what the, like the ones you see in California. And all these days I have this, not really homesick because I'm home, but you know this this thought that how nice would it be if I would work if I could stay longer and work from Greece, and I thought that actually today it's easier than ever. I could stay and work from here, and I'm employed in three different lines of work from three different employers, and probably none of them would notice, or all three of them would give their their blessings. And I'm going to touch on on whether you think that the, the new world is gonna be more rational in the way that the economy is organized, but not in the way that there's like a central planner who distributes, but whether we're gonna have less of what the anarchist Marxist anthropologist David Graeber calls the bullshit jobs. And I'm gonna elaborate a bit on that. But first of all, tell me what's, how's your life been during, uh, during COVID? Did you get any major lessons, things that you could do differently? Has it made you rethink your professional or your personal life in some way? Have you readjusted things? And do you think that you're going to keep these readjustments? Well, I've always known that the internet has provided us with the uh, opportunity to kind of do a lot from from home and, and to work remotely with a lot of people. So this hasn't drastically changed my lifestyle, but... Um, but then again, it sort of has and sort of seeing the way the, the world reacted to the whole thing, um, how it sort of uh, maybe maybe I'm, I'm jumping into like uh, sort of late stage COVID lockdown when I bring up the, the protests with Black Lives Matter and how a lot of people, they they were sort of complacent and restless. And and most importantly, I think they were on the Internet all day, which is what happens when you're just going to be at home all the time. So being on the Internet, I think, excites the passions. So I think uh, it confirmed what I've always known is that despite how many, many opportunities the Internet gives us, leaving the house, being face to face with people, walking down the street, going places, traveling is an important part to retaining your sanity, lest you uh, float away with your philosophical beliefs. You need to uh, stay grounded and, and concretize things on a regular basis with a bit of a change of scenery and human interaction. So you said that we stay for a long time on the internet and someone said uh, the other day that this is also part of this toxic 
political atmosphere that when you're the whole day on Twitter, for, so for example, suddenly this colleague that you would see and you know this is the person I disagree with, but I know she's that very nice person. She has a you know, beautiful character, we're friends. But then when all you get from that person is their tweets, then suddenly the, your level of your defense level goes, goes up. But I think the most profound thing I've read on the internet in all these months from the COVID to the, to the uh, politically, uh, political crisis, let's say, of the last weeks, is someone who mentioned that what we see is a fast forward in time, a fast forward in trends. So things that would take, let's say, 10 years to happen, now this time space is becoming smaller. And I would, I would say this is the case both in, with the political narrative. So we had the toxicity and the Overton window was becoming smaller, smaller, smaller. Now it's suddenly, so we are where it would normally be, let's say five years. But more interestingly for this particular daily objective is with the economy. And again, I'll come back to this idea of the bullshit job. So this comes from David Graeber, a guy who, with whom I don't agree and I don't particularly like, but that's an interesting idea. So he calls bullshit jobs, jobs that he says are so pointless and so unnecessary. So basically no one really benefits from them that even the people who work in these jobs cannot find a justification for this. And as examples, he uses HR, admin jobs, uh, some IT jobs, some accounting jobs. And of course, being a Marxist anarchist, he said the reason for this is capitalism. And whereas, and he foresees the libertarian, the kind of the free market reaction, he says, I know the libertarians are going to come after me and say these are created by the state. But, uh, you know, since there's a fat capitalist with a cigar paying these people, there must be something in this job. Now, I think these jobs are the first ones who are going to be or who should be on the line in this difficult time. So what makes sense is you say, okay, which are the essentials that I should keep? And the non-essentials, I'm going to throw them away. But then again, if you take into accordance, for example, the political climate, I would consider it unimaginable for a big corporation, for example, to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire my diversity and inclusion person or the, my Twitter person who, who makes sure that there's like the rainbow in our logo, because this political message now has become a very big part of this big business. So do you think we're going to see less of the bullshit jobs because of necessity? And could this be a good thing in terms of, A, we're going to have an economy which is, is going to be more lean, and these people are going to do something which they're going to enjoy more. Because part of what Greber describes as bullshit job is you hate yourself for going to that job and you can't wait to go back and watch Netflix. And by the way, this doesn't, this is not the same as quote seat jobs as he calls them. So if you're flipping burgers in McDonald's, that's a very difficult job, but at least you realize the importance. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm creating something and someone's going to get some value out of it. Sorry, I threw a lot on the table. So start unpacking. I'll try to unpack that. It's all great stuff. Um, who, uh, there's no question that um, we've gotten to sort of reassess a lot of jobs and positions and what is essential and all of that. And the circumstances do give rise to the potential 
for sticking with that and for being more rational. But ultimately, I mean, we are driven by philosophy. And I like what you said about how the internet sort of speeds up time and, and, and moves history along much quicker. So I say we get more consistent. So if political correctness is the religion, is the predominant philosophy of the, of the mainstream culture, then we're going to see that intensify. And that's exactly what we've seen. Uh, today, the world of today is unimaginable, unrecognizable from a couple of years ago, let alone five years ago. And I mean, 10 years ago is just a different universe altogether, it would seem. Um, there is the possible, I mean, we have the opportunity to sort of get rid of the BS jobs. But are we going to do that? I don't think so. I think uh, the more people's passions are excited, the more um, the state is going to regulate people's property, the more we're going to see everything that brought us here intensified. And it's probably only going to get worse. It's only those short windows of time, like when lockdown first began, when people were real, seemed to just be really focusing on what actually matters existentially. And uh, kind of reminds me of when 9-11 struck. It was uh, for a short amount of time, kind of all the other, like all the clutter just seemed irrelevant, but how long did that last? Or even if it lasted for some time, for some months, a year later, five years later, you know, a, a blink of an eye really. And we're, we're back to being polarized and it's worse than ever. So ultimately the, the circumstances are not what shape history in the long run. It really is philosophy. So let me then slightly change the, 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 the frame here. So let's say, because I agree that in some ways, maybe not many things are going to be different because my reply to Greber would be the reason, for example, why you need 15 people in HR and accounting is because there's such an, um, an amount of regulation and there's so many boxes that you have to tick. But this is not because of something inherent in, in let's say, the market. This is because someone has created this these regulations. So let's think about it this way. Let's say me, you, and the Lord Emperor behind the scenes who is running the show, we decide to open a philosophy, a department of philosophy, a university with, a university as it should be. I think what we need is a couple of people, maybe for IT, someone to make sure that, that uh, for, for, for admin in terms of make sure that the students have paid or the students, you know, they have their email working and all that stuff. And then the people teaching. So the idea that, that all these alienating and soul destroying jobs are something which is inherent that happens when you leave people free. I think this is not the case. I think when necessity becomes, when reality, you mentioned philosophy, when reality is the arbiter, then you're not gonna have bullshit jobs because you know, it's me versus what needs to be done. It's, it's not me versus the bureaucrat who is somewhere there and has made these changes. But let's yeah. say that, sorry, go on. Well, I, I, you, you, I think you quoted Gruber or his, whatever his name was as that he predicted you would say something like that. So in my answer to you, I took for granted everything you just said that yes, we understand that it's the regulatory state that brings about a lot of this distortion in the market and so-called BS jobs. So I was sort of taking it beyond that, but. I agree with everything you're saying now as well, of course. I was only taking that for granted since he predicted we would... we would. Yeah, of course he predicted, but he didn't give a good counter argument True. to that. Mm -hmm. But in terms, of, in terms of what we do with our lives, for example, 
I'm not sure I'm going to need the gym again. So I found, for example, that working out at home is basically you have a pull-up bar and some things that you can carry. But the most important thing is how more productive I find myself in working from home. So if my employer would tell me, Nikos, here's the deal. You're going to work from home. You're going to work 10% more. So I expect 10% more, but I allow you to work from home. And specifically in the area of education, I think why should it be that education means a theme park? Because that's what universities are today. They're theme parks. And you see students saying, I'm here for the working experience. But the, you, could, you could say that's like my bubble. But what about this book that came up out, I think, 15 years ago? Have you read Tim Ferriss' The 4-Hour Work Week? I've heard of it. Is he the French yeah, so guy? He, no, no. He, anyway, I'm a, thinking of someone else. We go. So he, in a way, launched this idea that you can be a nomad and you can be anywhere in the world and you can work less for, for, for more. And again, the people are going to say, oh, this is, this is very privileged. But if you think about again, what if, for example, for the show, our video editor is somewhere in, in, in let's say, a poorer country, but he's doing a brilliant job. Or what if my co-host uh, or your co-host is also in a poorer country? So you don't need to have your show in, in, in the very expensive uh, LA or San Francisco or wherever you are. So in a way, this is a democratization of, uh, of competition. Competition doesn't become more unfair, actually becomes more fair. And they're going to say, oh, now I am not competing with, let's say, the 3,000 lecturers in the UK. I'm competing with the 30,000 lecturers, let's say, all over the world. But I think that's fair because this also gives the chance to someone who did not have this chance. So I say I'm welcoming this. I realize it's going to be painful. And that's where a lot of people are going to throw the universal basic income thing. So they're going to say, okay, you, uh, you want to be a digital nomad, whatever. But my uncle, who is 65 and has five more years to go to, to become a pensioner, he hasn't got this option. So, and even libertarians quite often, they say, well, all this is great, but let's also introduce a universal basic income. So, and there are two kinds of arguments against it. There's a one argument that I don't like, which is the economic argument, which is kind of, I get it, but I don't think it's a strong argument. And it's the moral argument. Do you want to talk a bit more about the moral argument? Because I expect that you have things to say about that. Yeah, of course. I mean, we need both the, eco the, the practical economic argument and the moral one, because the two go together and are corollaries when we truly understand them. Um, we need to, all roads lead to philosophy. So all the circumstances could, changing around us is not ultimately what has the final say. Maybe in the short term, it can sort of, uh, make us brush aside certain ideologies and focus on reality for a minute. But ultimately, all roads do lead to philosophy. So the way we look at the nature of man, look, the founding fathers would be having a, a blast with all of this technology today. That generation, you know, the, the enlightenment thinkers, flawed as they may have been, they're, they're, they were essentially, basically, I think, on board with what you and I are trying to promote. And they they would have uh, said all this technology is, is you know, the greatest thing. It, it's just the greatest uh, thing to enjoy. And it, and it confirms that, you know, the free market is, is the way to go. 
but a lot of people are using the development as evidence that you know the individual is being alienated by capitalism that it that technology is the enemy that i mean people on the right people on the left people on the right are saying we need to return to the farm because all this technology has been bad for us <laughs> i mean and they're they're saying basically uh parroting yesterday's leftist arguments but today's leftists are saying um yeah let's use this technology to mobilize and to cancel everybody and um you know and to basically agitate for communism or some or something even more horrific if if that's possible um ultimately all roads lead to philosophy i mean what is the nature of man what is the nature of life how does the individual live and gather information and pursue values most importantly so a value-driven populace will uh will integrate the moral with the practical but as long as that's not the case as long as uh self-interest is met with guilt we're only going to see the moral and the practical pitted against one another and you mentioned values i will add the hierarchy of values so here's the thing again i'm preempting a counter argument so the counter argument could be Well, yes, but what about people and their relationship? When you're this ruthless cosmopolitan, and uh, which, by the way, used to be a very reactionary and usually anti-Semitic slur. So when they used to say you're a ruthless cosmopolitan, it basically means you're a Jew and you don't care about anything. And it's funny that now it had kind of become this anti-capitalist uh, slur, which shows how anti-Semitism and anti-capitalism had always been. But anyway, so they say, yes, but what about human relationships? And I would say, It's the exact opposite. This technology gives me the way to inter to, to, to include the things that are very important for me. So, for example, I can be close to my niece, who is some months old, and I can see her now for a whole month. You know, I'm close to her. I'm close to my parents. First time after so many years, I've seen them for, for so long. And because of technology and this, because of this alienation, I can be productive from wherever I want. Or let's say you find the love of your life and she's in, uh, she's, I don't know, in uh, Montenegro and I find the love of my life and let's say she's in California, I can work it out. So no matter which angle you see it, you see it for, if you believe in human agency, if you believe in the people's ability to, to, to put their values in a hierarchy and, and kind of try to pursue their own happiness, Rather than seeing the world as this kind of, of, that we are these grandmasters that we have to pull the strings. And if we pull the string, what's going to happen there? It's like you remember the bad guys in Atlas Rug, what they usually say to Hungary. They say, Mr. Reardon, you have to realize it's a very complicated system. We cannot allow you to flourish with Reardon metal because what's going to happen to this? So it's very interesting to see every time there's this possibility of change, You see how the, the reaction, and when I say the reaction, I don't mean the right wings only. I mean the right and left reaction, they basically come up with the same things again and again and again. And even Karl Marx, who most of the leftists don't read, and they, they would be, in a way, some ways they would be better off reading him. So he, even he was against the Luddites. He realized that technology is a, a power of war. Of course, he was inconsistent because... He had all these contradictions. But so I would say that whatever is the post-COVID paradigm, if we let people do their own choices and if we trust them and if we embrace change, I think it can really, really be better. Better in terms of personal relationships, better in terms of the quality 
of your life, not only for us, but also for the developing countries and for poorer people, because they're going to be part of the game even more, not only in terms of working in, a, in, in horrible conditions in a factory, because, of course, it's going to be better for them, but also in terms of making use of this technology. So this was one of the shows that I think I've talked more than you have. So now it's up to you to have a, a, a finale, which is going to be no one's going to be able to forget it, at least till tomorrow. Nobody will forget this. Like, if we had people like Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump running this country, we never in the past, we never would have had an industrial revolution. It would have been forbidden because it would have destroyed the jobs on the farms and various uh, other buggy, buggy, a buggy, right? That was before a car. You had buggies. They would, the buggy people, would have, their jobs would have been saved. Um, but on a positive note, I'll say if you look at reality with, a first-handed view saying, what do I want? What do I want to do with my life? Then technology and money become tools that are here to serve you. However, if you don't look at the world that way, then you will end up believing that money and technology is manipulating you and manipulates people. And we need to be suspicious of progress and of all these things. So all roads lead to philosophy. Remember that. I kind of was joking when I said I want a memorable ending. That was a memorable ending. So what better way to finish the show than by these lines? So, uh, but we are not pulling the strings of the Facebook Live. So Lord Emperor, behind the scenes, if you're listening to us, this is the end of the show. Thank you very much and see you all tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs>